NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Tonight on The Readout. They were there proud. They were there with love in their heart. That was an unbelievable and it was a beautiful day. Trump's disgusting lies about January 6th, which really looked like this, with death and destruction in the halls of the U.S. Capitol. It was all part of a disastrous and embarrassing MAGA town hall hosted by CNN, which made only a half-hearted effort to fact-check him. And Trump quite likely dug himself a deeper hole in the investigations he's facing. Plus, breaking news with the announcement late today of criminal charges in the chokehold death of Jordan Neely on the floor of a New York City subway train earlier this month. But we begin with Donald Trump, who by now, you know, was handed an opportunity to speak to his fans and a national audience last night on CNN. And it went about as well as you'd expect. Because Trump was who we already knew he is, a liar, a narcissist, and a fascist. So it was an unmitigated disaster in every way, and a reckless insult to our democracy. It's completely fair to say that we didn't need a town hall to find out what candidate Trump thinks since he was president for a whole four years. So it's not as though he needed a town hall to introduce himself. Even worse, CNN somehow managed to stack the audience with a MAGA crowd that hooted and hollered and lapped up every line like you'd expect from people who'd already voted for him. A Trump rally is what it actually was. The twice impeached, liable for sexual abuse former president steamrolled CNN host Caitlin Collins from the very start and unleashed a fire hose of lies and smears for 70 minutes with the barest pushback. He doubled and tripled down on lies about the 2020 election. He denied that he asked Georgia's secretary of state to find him votes and claimed that Vice President Mike Pence could have legally overturned the election. He defended taking and refusing to give back classified documents with another whopper, saying that he's allowed to. Even the questions he refused to answer were revealing in a bad way. He refused to say if he wants Ukraine to prevail against Russia's invasion, called Putin a smart guy. And he refused to take a position on a federal abortion ban while lying about abortions and taking credit for overturning Roe versus Wade. At least that last bit is true. Then there were the smears calling the black police officer who shot and killed insurrectionist Ashley Babbitt as she tried to smash into the speaker's lobby by jumping through a window on January 6th, calling him a thug. Quite a loaded term. And in a disgusting display, he mocked and insulted E. Jean Carroll, just a day after a New York jury found him liable for sexually abusing and defaming her, while his MAGA superfans laughed and applauded his misogyny. We're walking into a crowded department, sir. We had this great chemistry, and a few minutes later, we end up in a a room, a dressing room, of Bergdorf Goodman, right near the cash register. And then she found out there were locks on the door. So she said, I found one that was open. She found one. She learned this at trial. She found one that was open. What kind of a woman meets somebody and brings them up, and within minutes, you're playing hanky-panky in a dressing room, okay? <laughs> I don't know if you, she was married then or not. John Johnson, I feel sorry for you, John Mr. Johnson. Mr. President, can I... And I swear, and I've never done that, and I swear to... I have no idea who the hell... She's a Mr. whack President, job. Mr. President, you, you did not... Wow. In short, 
It was blatant fascism meets the Jerry Springer show. CNN's own media reporter, Oliver Darcy, wrote this. It's hard to see how America was served by the spectacle of lies that aired on CNN, adding that the network and its new CEO, Chris Licht, are facing a fury of internal and external criticism. Licht reportedly justified the debacle on the CNN morning editorial call this morning by saying Trump made a lot of news, as if Donald Trump actually gives a crap about that. As the Washington Post's Philip Bump writes, his desired outcome is to attack and undermine the entire system because by breaking it down, he gains more power. He used CNN on Wednesday the way he used the Republican Party in 2016 as a source of power he could disrupt and repurpose. And my friend and colleague Mehdi Hassan points out the whole event was designed to fail. Sorry, bud. As predicted, this was a clear win for Trump. He felt no pressure and conceded nothing. He was welcomed onto CNN to address an audience of non-Republicans watching at home and an audience of loyal Republicans sitting in that hall in New Hampshire. Win-win. Join me now is Mehdi Hassan, host of The Mehdi Hassan Show, and Michael Steele, former RNC chair, MSNBC political analyst, and host of the Michael Steele podcast. Thank you both for being here. Um, and you had the disadvantage, Mehdi, of not being here with us. I am going to start with you. This is what you wrote about this town hall. CNN with this ridiculous town hall format and an audience seemingly recruited from the Mar-a-Lago parking lot put its own anchor in a position to fail. The only way Collins really could have even semi-succeeded would have been if she had ignored the audience and the format entirely and instead tried to pin Trump down on each and every one of his false and offensive statements. But I want to put to you, Mehdi, that her first question was as follows. Polls show that you're dominating the Republican race right now, but you're also under active federal investigation for trying to overturn the 2020 election results. Your first term ended in a deadly riot at the Capitol, and you still have not publicly acknowledged the 2020 election results. Why should Americans put you back in the White House? That, to me, sounds like a question that was designed to fail. Your thoughts on all of this? Yeah, Joy, just listening to you speak there uh, and introduce it all, you set it up so well. It's so depressing. I was one of those people who went into last night thinking this is going to be bad, but it was worse than even I thought. Uh, I thought CNN would have some kind of plan uh, for the night. You and I, Joy, we work in cable news, we work in television. If we had an interview like that, we would sit with our team, we'd say, okay, I'm going to do this. They'll do that. What if this happens? What if this happens? Have we got a plan for... There was nothing. I mean, people are saying today, Caitlin Collins, poor Caitlin Collins, she tried her best. And with the great respect to Caitlin Collins, I'm a great admirer of Caitlin Collins' interviews previously. She did very well when she was in the White House uh, briefing room holding Trump to account. She did a very good interview recently with Rick Scott. But last night, it just wasn't good enough. If you're going up with Trump at nine, you know, eight o'clock, primetime television, this is the biggest interview of your life. Where was the prep? Where, you know, why go in, as you say, with that question? Why were you not prepared for his lies? We knew what Trump would do. This is not 2016. We haven't gone back in time in the time machine. This is, there's no excuse for not knowing that Trump's going to steamroll you, that Trump's going to verbally abuse you. When he said, you're a nasty person, it was almost like, tick. I was waiting for that. There was no yeah. way he was going to go through the night without insulting her. There was no way he wasn't going to mock E. Jean Carroll. There was no way he wasn't going to say rigged election again and again. At one point, she says to him, it wasn't a rigged election. You can't keep saying that all night long. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he can. Yeah, he can. And he did. Yeah, he can. And CNN helped him. And you had no plan for it. So, you know, I have a chapter, as you know, Joy, in my book about gish galloping. I wrote a book on this. Yeah. And I said, Donald Trump is the master of the gish gallop. Yes. He will steamroll you. He will hit you with a blizzard of lies. And you know what you can't do? You can't do a live TV format with Donald Trump. And you certainly can't do it in front of an audience of his super fans. That way is madness. It is setting up Caitlin Collins to fail. 
Well, and by the way, asking an open question to Donald Trump. You and I have talked about this. I literally did text Mehdi last night. Tell me the name of that thing again, the Gish Gallup, because I was like, what's the, the name Gish of that thing? Because I was going nuts. I mean, the reality is asking him an open question is inviting yeah. him to Gish Gallup by saying, and not why having follow-ups, be- Joy. Exactly. Not having follow-ups. When he says the Democrats are executing babies, you don't move on to the next topic. You stay and you follow up on that. When he says, I didn't say I'd terminate the Constitution, and we all know he did, it's written down, you stay there. You don't move on. You don't. And and look, you know, I think that this was as revelatory, Michael, about the Republican base Mm -hmm. as it was about Donald Trump and CNN, because a few things to me became clear last night. Number one, CNN wants desperately to be the new home for Republican viewers. They want to be the new Fox. They want to move to the right. That's part of Lick's agenda. Uh, Clearly. And and I'll be honest, Chris Lick used to work here. Like he used to be EP of Morning Joe for a while. Um, He used to work at CNN, Um, CBS. I'm sorry. But it's clear that what he's doing over there and under John Malone, you know, who's the big investor and the people mm-hmm. above him, there's, it's clear that the goal is to make it a friendly place for MAGA. That's very clear. Um, the other thing that's clear is that they allowed that audience to be filled with Trump fans. To Mehdi's point, these weren't undecided New Hampshire voters. Trump's leading by 20 points in New Hampshire. Right. They decided to put his fans in the audience so that they could be a cheering section. It was like Jerry Springer vibes. And the third thing I will say to you before I let you talk, yeah. and I'm sorry, I'm oh, just no, going no, on you're good. My feelings. You're good. Is that if that's the base, if that's the arithmetic median of a Republican, God help your party because they were hooting and hollering. They were vicious. They were cruel. They were unpleasant. Why would anybody want to join a party like that? So that there, there's a lot there to unpack. <laughs> unpack, <laughs> please, Maddie. I may need Talk you to down. come in, brother. <laughs> Talk me down. <laughs> Bring a little bit extra here. So let, let's let's step back a little bit because everything you said is exactly uh, on point. And I I think that the important thing. Let's take it as if, as I can remember it because uh, I'm old now. So this is going to be a little process. So the first part is what CNN tried to do, mm-hmm. and they succeeded at that. They gave us exactly what they wanted to give us. Mm-hmm. They knew what that's what this formula would result in, and it played. And, and unfortunately for their host, their anchor, she was the hapless victim placed in front of that crowd and in front of Trump for those moments in which the culmination was, you know, you're just a lousy person. You're just a nasty person, right? And let's remember, she comes from the Daily Caller. She's she a comes from the Daily Caller, yes. She comes from the Daily Caller, yes. outlet that Tucker Carlson used to own. Exactly. So she's and, not and so she, she was on Fox's air a lot of she times, um, sort of spewing that same pablum. Yep. So that part was a check. That audience, to your other point, was the popcorn. Yeah. For those for the MAGA folks sitting at home, seeing CNN portray a MAGA audience in a favorable light, giving them the platform. And there was no counter to that. Yeah. And the third piece for me last night was really sort of the final nail in the coffin of the 2024 presidential Republican presidential primary. For real. Because yes. if I'm sorry, Ron DeSantis, if hmm. you're thinking yeah. about running for president, hmm. And you're on that stage with that man. Mm. You ain't ready, baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. You yeah. are not ready Mm-mm. for that. And imagine not one, two, but three or four other people on that stage mm-hmm. with Trump. Mm-hmm. It is up. Like shooting apples in a barrel. It's just picking them off one by one. And when do they have a chance to retort? That's right. And when they start, when you come at me, I just do one of these. Uh Mm Uh-huh. And let me go over here to Ron. 100%. Oh, Ron, let me go over here to you, Tim. He takes them all out. And the reality of it is 
That last night set that platform up 100%. and put it into motion. 100%. And the, the yeah. thing is, Mehdi, that we talk a lot. We, You and I talk a lot about, Michael, you and I talk a lot about this, of how we avert the, the rise of fascism and the sort of forward march of it in this country on the Republican side. What, what CNN did last night, and even their internal meetings, show that they, the, the journalists over there Ain't happy. Yeah. And you and we all know folks over there and have talked to them. They are unhappy because they understand what they undermine there. Not only the great brand of CNN as a journalistic outfit and obviously the brand of Caitlin Collins, it, who was put, you know, set up to fail. But the idea that CNN is now a partner of Donald Trump in advancing his campaign. What Republican is going to feel confident standing up to him after that? Ron DeSantis is not even close to ready to deal with that. Not even close. He has no personality. He couldn't even stand up to Charlie Crist when he gave him a yes. hard time. This is the, this is I'm it. I'm end up to Mickey Mouse. <laughs> or Mickey Mouse. <laughs> I mean, that's I mean, no, I completely agree with Michael about the what a, what a Republican debate might look like. If Trump even bothers to take part if in he one, does it. Uh, right. he will wipe the floor with them. Uh, but let me just say this about, uh, you know, the, the people who people who are angry about last night are people like you and I who care about the future of democracy and about journalism and are, are embarrassed by what we saw. But yeah, Ron DeSantis should be mad about last night, too, because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Donald Trump did seal the deal. There was he didn't break sweat. There was no moment last night, Joy. Where, Ron, where Donald Trump looked even 1% uncomfortable. Yeah. You, and I watched John's, you and I watched Jonathan Swan's Axios interview for HBO in 2020. The only interview which yes. has really held Trump's feet to the fire. Why? Because right. Jonathan came prepared. Because Jonathan right. took the right tone. Because Jonathan went deep. Trump looked, you could see Trump was panicking that night. There was no exactly. panic yesterday. And I just want to return to what you said about the crowd. It's so important what you said about the crowd because Chris Licht apparently said on the morning call that, look, we have to do this. We had to have them in the crowd because large swaths of people believe what they believe. So? We know exactly. that large swaths of people believe in misogyny and racism. Uh, we know that large swaths of Americans believe in QAnon. Are we going to have a QAnon town hall uh, on Hello. CNN? We know that large swaths of America don't believe in climate change. Are we going to have a climate change denial uh, town hall on CNN? Where do we draw the line here? And as for the people themselves, it was disgusting. And I will remind you of this. Why Donald Trump is so unique. There are other awful Republican presidents. They have cut taxes on the rich. They have gutted health care. They have deregulated. They have done horrible things at home and abroad. But things that other presidents could come afterwards and maybe try and undo ameliorate. What Trump has done will be with us for decades. That's right. He has allowed some of the worst people in America to come out from under rocks. He has legitimized a corrosive behavior. He has destroyed our public square. And he's allowed these people to say, yeah, we're going to laugh and cheer at racism at saying people in Chinatown don't speak English, as Trump said last night. We're going to laugh yeah. and cheer at a woman who was sexually abused. That kind of stuff, that's worse than any political or legislative change. Yeah. That kind of stuff's going to be with us for decades. Because He, he turned CNN into Twitter. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. that's a pretty big accomplishment to that great brand. And to that very point, let us talk about some of the new things that we're seeing today. You have Tommy Tuberville, not the brightest bulb in the fixture uh, in the United States Senate, saying that white nationalists, they're just Americans like everyone else. Why, 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 why shouldn't we let them be in the military? And then he tried to clean that up. Let's play. This is cut seven of him trying to clean up his comments about white nationalists are just Americans. They should be in the military, too. Take a look. What is a white nationalist? Someone who propagates Nazism, someone who doesn't believe that black and brown people are equal. You think a white nationalist is a, is, a, is a Nazi? Well, that is one of their beliefs. Well, I don't look at it like that. I don't, How do you look at it? I look at a white nationalist as a, as a, a Trump Republican. That's what we're called all the time, a mega person. That's what do I'm you just, agree that, that, with that well, assumption? 
I agree that we should not be characterizing Trump supporters as white nationalists. And seen. A, ma- a white nationalist is a Trump supporting he Republican. He, he Thank the, you, Tommy Tuberville. He called the thing what it is. I mean, <laughs> and by the way, some anti Semites who praise Hitler are going to be at Donald Trump's Doral yeah. property giving a speechy at which Eric Trump was going to be. I don't know if he's going anymore, but the reality is I don't think he's going anymore. But that's where we're at, Michael Steele. Yeah. Your party yeah. that has you in it yeah. also now has open white nationalists. <laughs> Tommy, color, he's still there. Color, color me fool. And Tommy <laughs> Tuberville is is telling, not, and it's not Joy Reid that's saying know, that white nationalists are Trump MAGA supporters. Tommy Tuberville said they are. Your so, thoughts, Michael Steele. Yeah, thank you very much. For, <laughs> for it's, it's with love that I ask. I know. Hey, can I get a drink? Can yes, you can. <laughs> when, as soon as you go off so this day, it's so cocktail that. time. So here's the deal. Yeah, no, I, I've had this conversation uh, about four times today, uh, believe it or not. Um, and and it, it really is. I mean, look, I, I'm not I'm not that crazy enough to know that there does come a point. That's why I said what I said just now about the this last night being the death knell, uh, the final blow in that coffin, if you will, for this primary, because it, it, it is now sealed the way yeah. this is. So what does that mean for someone like me? What does that mean for uh, there are a lot of folks like me still in the I party. I know a bunch of them. And you know a bunch of them. And that that is part. The soul searching is pretty much done at this point. It is. Um, so now it becomes more practical. Yeah. <laughs> where, okay, where's the parachute, the, the off-ramp? Yeah. Because this does not get better from here. No, it it really doesn't. And, you know, for those who, you know, like to deride and chide and say, well, why don't you come over here? Why don't you do that? It, it, is, it is very difficult to leave something that you have been, you spent about half your life helping to build. Sure. Doing good, ugly, and, and, and really, you know, uh, interesting times. To watch it all disintegrate in such a short period because people willingly allowed it to happen. That's right. That's right. And that, to me, is probably one of the more disappointing things when you have a Tommy Tuberville speaking more stupid than <laughs> you can even imagine, but then calling the thing actually what it is. Yeah. That, and he admitted that's it. Tough. Yeah. Well, I will say in Tommy Tuberville's defense, he's never been a bright man. So. <laughs> I like stupid myself, but that's what I said. No one's ever accused him of being a bright man. It's just crazy. Mehdi Hassan, Michael Steele, God help us all. Thank you both very much. Up next on The Readout, the legal implications of last night's travesty. As Trump, because he's just, I mean, barely brighter than Tommy Deverville, apparently, (laughs) provides more ammunition to the prosecutors already gunning for him and opens himself up to yet another defamation lawsuit. Well done, Trump. The Readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org slash future.
That's PlannedParenthood.org slash future. You asked him to find bad, you votes. I didn't ask him to find anything. Let me We've just heard tell you, the audio tape, Mr. President. There's bad, an audio of you asking him to find I you 11,000 you owed me votes. votes because the election was rigged. While most Americans learned nothing new from Donald Trump's performance last night, it did appear that the twice impeached, liable for sexual abuse and defamation former president may have provided prosecutors with new evidence that could be used against him in the multiple investigations that he's facing. What you just heard from Trump is likely to become the newest exhibit for Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis if she chooses to indict Trump over his efforts to overturn Georgia's election results. In this example, it was Trump demanding that Georgia's Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger find him the votes he needed to be named the winner, even though there was no evidence of widespread irregularities in the state. Last night, Trump also weighed in on both of the special counsel's investigations pertaining to the January 6th insurrection and Trump's mishandling of classified documents. He may have also opened himself up to further legal jeopardy in the battery and defamation civil trial that just ended where a jury found Trump liable to the tune of $5 million to writer E. Jean Carroll. After his comments last night disparaging her and calling her a whack job, Carroll and her lawyer say they're weighing whether to file a new defamation suit against him. Now, joining me now is Glenn Kirshner, former federal prosecutor, MSNBC legal analyst, and host of the Justice Matters podcast. Let's start with E. Jean Carroll. Um, could E. Jean Carroll say, oh, he disparaged me again, going in for more money? Yes, and this would be the third suit she brought against him, and it would kind of be like shooting fish in a barrel, right? Right after a jury found for E. Jean Carroll, found, among other things, that Donald Trump defamed her, lied about her intentionally and maliciously, and awarded damages that were designed to punish him, punitive damages and designed to deter him from defaming people in the future. The next day he goes out and does what? He defames E.G. Carroll uh, e. Carol again. So she can certainly bring a third suit. Remember, there is a second suit still kicking around. That's the one that she brought against him for statements he made while he was president. That's where Bill Barr tried to swoop in and sub Donald Trump out so he could dismiss that suit and shield Donald Trump from liability. That is still kicking around in the appellate courts. It's back in front of Judge Kaplan right now for a decision about whether those statements were in fact made uh, within the scope of Donald Trump's official presidential duties, which seems a bit ludicrous. She could now bring a third suit and she could use his posts in the aftermath of the jury sure. verdict where he clearly defamed her again. She can use statements made at the town hall right after he lost a defamation trial against her. It would be a pretty easy suit, I think, for E. Jean Carroll to win. Let's go to uh, Jack Smith's investigations. Here is Donald Trump admitting his supporters did what he told them on January 6th. You saw them rushing the Capitol, breaking windows. They were hitting officers with flagpoles, tasing them, beating them up when it was clear they weren't being peaceful. Why did you wait three hours to tell them to leave the Capitol? They listen to you yeah. like no one else. You know that. They do. I agree with that. Was Jack Smith likely writing that down? Oh, yeah. You know, Joy, as ill-advised as I think this town hall was, why CNN would give a microphone and a platform to somebody who t tried to violently stop the transfer of presidential power. You know, there are definitely some gems in there for prosecutors. Uh, he, he made deeply incriminating statements over and over. And, you know, you can casually and cavalierly lie 
in a town hall, and perhaps it's not going to inure to your detriment. But I can tell you, when he says things like when Caitlin Collins asked him, did you show anybody those classified documents that you stole from the White House and brought down to Mar-a-Lago? Here's what he said, quote, um, not really, not that I can think of. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say prosecutors probably have evidence that he did show them to people. So that's going to become what? A cover up in consciousness of guilt. Uh, when she asked him point blank, um, you asked Brad Raffensperger to find you votes. Here was his answer. Quote, I didn't ask him to find anything. Joy, government exhibit number one will be that clip. Government exhibit number two will be the, the recorded phone conversation where he said, find me 11,780 votes. When you juxtapose those two things in a court, you're mm. going to see the jurors' eyes roll up and they're going to be looking at their watch, thinking to themselves, when can I get back into the deliberation room to vote guilty? Let's do another Jack Smith one. This is about whether or not Donald Trump took the classified documents. Here he is last night. Just so you understand, I had every right to do it. I didn't make a secret of it. You know, the boxes were stationed outside of the White House. People were taking pictures of the GSA of the various I people. I took the documents I'm allowed to. And by the way, they become automatically declassified when I took them. And Glenn, here is what Donald Trump's lawyers last month sent a letter uh, to Congress saying it was an accident, an oversight that the documents were sent, not sitting outside. We have seen absolutely no indication that President Trump knowingly possessed any of the marked documents or willfully broke any laws. Rather, all indications are that the presence of marked documents at Mar-a-Lago was a result of haphazard records keeping and packing by White House staff and GSA. Literally the opposite of what he said last night. Oopsie. This is incriminating manna from heaven. You know, one of the really difficult um, things that the prosecutors would have to prove is that Donald Trump knowingly and intentionally, you know, caused those documents to be transported down to Mar-a-Lago. But he has plugged that evidentiary hole nicely, contradicting his own legal team in the process. You know, the only thing standing between uh, a federal conviction and Donald Trump is a federal indictment. I've been saying all along, these cases will try themselves. The problem is they can't indict themselves. And that's why we are forever waiting for those federal indictments to come. Yeah. And, and the sad thing is, it looks like there's a substantial no amount of his base that would vote for him if he, if he was inside Sing Sing, based on what we saw from those people last night in that crowd. Glenn Kirshner, thank you very much. Still ahead, prosecutors now say that they will be bringing criminal charges against a 24-year-old man who used a deadly chokehold on a New York City subway. More details after this. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.
We are following breaking news tonight in the death of Jordan Neely. Daniel Penny, the 24-year-old former Marine who held the homeless black man in a deadly chokehold on a Manhattan subway train for 15 full minutes, will be arrested on charges of second-degree manslaughter. He's expected to turn himself in as soon as tomorrow. Since Neely's death nearly two weeks ago, protests have been ongoing across New York City as demonstrators demand justice for Jordan. And joining me now is Paul Butler, former federal prosecutor, law professor at Georgetown University, and MSNBC legal analyst. And Paul, um, I guess my first obvious question is, are you surprised that there will be a prosecution and that it took this long? It should, it should not have taken this long. So under the law, in order to be guilty of second-degree manslaughter, you have to recklessly endanger someone's life. That is, to commit an act knowing right. that you're putting someone's life in jeopardy. Joy, the whole world has seen Mr. Penny choke Mr. Uh, choke Mr. Feely to death on videotape. So right. I don't know why it took so long. Yeah. Yes, D.A. Bragg had to look at the videotape. He mm -hmm. had to uh, do witness interviews, the medical examiner report, which says that Mr. Um, Neely died of homicide, right. um, and listen to the 911 calls. I don't know why that took two weeks. Let me read the two statements. So the law firm representing Daniel Penny put out this statement, saying Mr. Neely had a documented history of violent and erratic behavior, the apparent result of ongoing and untreated mental illness. When Mr. Neely began aggressively threatening Daniel Penny and the other passengers. Daniel, with the help of others, acted to protect themselves until help arrived. Daniel never intended to harm Mr. Neely and could not have foreseen his untimely death for too long, though suffering from mental illness had been treated with indifference. Well, that's an odd statement. Um, that's from the law firm representing Daniel Penny. Your thoughts? Uh, on the video, you can see a passenger warn Mr. Penny about the danger of putting Mr. Neely in a chokehold. The passenger literally says, you could pick up a murder charge mm -hmm. for this. So it was entirely foreseeable that if you put your hands on someone's neck for minutes, that that person is at risk of losing his life, which is exactly what happened. And the, the, the reality is for 15 minutes, you're holding somebody, even the NYPD are prohibited legally from doing what this man did. He's a civilian. This is the Neely family statement. It is clear he is the one who acted with indifference, um, the now arrested man. Uh, by the time he killed Jordan and now in his first public message, he never attempted to help him at all. In short, his actions on the train and now his words show why he needs to be in prison, and that is Dante Mills and Lennon Edwards, who represent the Neely family, talking about Daniel Penny. Uh, based on all of the evidence that we've seen, uh, Mr. Penny had no business putting his hands on Mr. Neely's neck. He may have thought that Mr. Neely was acting unruly. He may have been afraid even for himself or others, but that does not give him a legal entitlement to act as judge, jury, and executioner. Does the fact that he had him from behind, I mean, it's hard to argue that someone is a threat to, them, to, to, to other people when you're lying on your back with them on top of you. He can't get up. He can't move. And there are literally people, including two women, standing over him, another man holding him down. The one person who was in danger, obviously, was Jordan Neely. Yes, that's exactly right. And again, it's too often in these cases when there's a white person who's accused of violence against a black person, then the black person is often the one who gets blamed, even though he's the victim. In this case, people are using it as an excuse to be sympathetic yeah. uh, to Mr. Um, to Mr., um, Mr. Penny. Mr. Penny. They want to have a conversation, an important conversation, to be sure, about 
mental illness, about homelessness, about addiction. But Joy, uh, Mr. Neely did not die of mental illness exactly. or addiction. He died, according to the medical examiner, because Mr. Penny suffocated him to death. And he couldn't have known his is his legal history, and he couldn't have known his mental health history. Last question, very quickly: Could any of the other people standing in that train also be uh, be accused of a crime for uh, yeah. just watching him die? Yes, just as three other officers were implicated in George Floyd's death, mm -hmm. uh, other people who held Mr. Penny, held Mr. Neely down. Mm -hmm. Again, they should be. There should be an investigation, and if charges are appropriate, charges should be brought. Uh, we will keep watching this. Paul Butler, thank you very much. And still ahead, Florida officials reject dozens, dozens of new textbooks and force changes in others in DeSantis's latest salvo and his right wing war on, you know, learning stuff. We'll be right back. That is pornographic. Why would we have that in a media center with 10-year-old students? It's just wrong. Removing clear instances of pornography and sexually explicit materials, uh, often within arm's reach of our youngest kids, is not book banning. Ron DeSantis' interpretation of pornography is not one based on reality. But it is nonetheless being weaponized to remove books containing no sexual content whatsoever from Florida school bookshelves. New reporting by Judd Legum of Popular Info reveal what some of these books are. Sleeping Beauty, which includes a teeny tiny illustration of the queen bathing from a distance, as well as House and Homes by Anne Morris, which includes a photo of a rural African child's buttocks. To be clear, a photo of a buttocks is not, by definition, pornography. Books proving the existence of racist white people are also flying off the shelves, just not in a good way. The latest being Little Rock Nine, a graphic novel by historian Marshall Poe about school integration in 1957. That was the year nine black students walked through an angry white mob in order to attend Little Rock Central High School upon its desegregation. The Wakulla County School District in Florida has removed the book from its elementary school shelves. A group called the Florida Freedom to Read Project uncovered documents showing that one parent objected to the graphic novel because it revealed the types of slurs white people used to describe black people. The school sided with the parent and removed the book. In a letter, while they maintained that the book was indeed historically accurate, although he said historical accurate, they claimed that the subject of the segregation and desegregation, the subject of segregation and desegregation is difficult for elementary students to comprehend. This book's representation of feelings and emotions during that time period are above the understanding for most of our students. We reached out to the Wakulla County Schools and received a statement from the assistant superintendent who said, concerns regarding curriculum from parents and community members are appropriately reviewed. The outcome of the review for the book in question was the recommendation to move the book from elementary school to a grade level deemed more appropriate. This does not constitute a ban, as students will still have the opportunity to read the book during their K-12 experience. Joining me now is Judd Legum, author of Popular Information. I will note, Judd, that in that letter, they also, which was actually grammatically a horror show, <laughs> um, they also said that since some 9th through 12th graders are at a third grade reading level in Wakulla County, then those students could enjoy reading a book written for fourth graders. I'll move on. Tell me about some of the books that you found that were also banned. Yeah, well, this is what happens a lot with Governor DeSantis is you, know, you played those clips from the March press conference where he says 87 percent of these books are either 
pornographic or violent or inappropriate. As it turns out, there were only 22% that were actually labeled pornographic. I went ahead and looked at those because we finally have the document, the survey that this was based on. And it a lot of them were were just like the ones you mentioned in your introduction, just a a picture, a drawing of, you know, a naked butt, for instance, would be considered <laughs> pornographic, which which isn't pornography. I mean, it, it's right. laid out in Florida statute that it has to appeal primarily to period interests and it has to have no educational, scientific, literary value. So if you have a book that's about different homes around the world and it happens to show uh, a, a kid from behind who's naked because this was a book where they traveled around the world and took pictures of actual homes. That's not pornography, but Ron DeSantis in March, without disclosing the actual books that he's talking about, is up there saying, oh, look at all this graphic material that people are trying to foist on our our young children. So there's a big difference between kind of how he presents this and what books are really being excluded. Let me just go through for the audience, just so that you guys understand, you know, and, and Judd found a lot of these and found the whole list of them. And here's here's from your reporting. Beloved by Toni Morrison, one of the most important books I ever read growing up. It really turned me on just the idea of language. It's a beautiful book. The Kite Runner by Khaled Hosseini. Forever by Judy Bloom. 19 Minutes by Jody Picoult. Dreaming in Cuban by Christina Garcia. The Perks of Being a Wallflower by Stephen uh, Chbosky. These are books that are like foundational to young readers, and they're saying these books are porn. And are they in any way attempting to justify that? Or is that based on one parent who doesn't like the fact that, let's say, their white child is reading Toni Morrison and they think that'll make them somehow hate themselves? Is that is it one parent just saying, I don't like this book and then it gets banned? Well, it it really varies by district how much you learn about what happens. Uh, the, what the Florida Department of Education released and was was the basis of my report, there was no explanation. It was just listed. They either said pornography or they listed the statute that's under Florida law. And the books you described, they do have some sexual content. I mean, there are there is some description of sexual activity in the book, but that's far different than pornography because these are, I mean, Beloved won the Pulitzer Prize. These are in all, all those books actually are award, are award winning books. And so those books, even though they have sexual content, are not considered pornography or harmful to children. If you read Beloved is a book for, you know, you're, you probably should be in high school to read it, to understand it, because it deals yeah. with some complex topics. Uh, but it's, it is very regularly assigned in an AP English class and other uh, honors classes, as are those other books. So. What we're doing is we're taking books that are important books, some of the greatest books that we have that are um, that are written by American authors, and we are categorizing them as pornography. And there's not a lot of transparency as to how we got to that point. And when we do find out, it's often a person or a group of people who are acting in a coordinated fashion to push an ideological narrative. I'm going to note out also that Florida has rejected 35 percent of the social studies textbooks publishers hope to sell to public schools this year and forced others to delete or change passages state leaders disliked. 
including references to why some citizens are choosing to take a knee to protest police brutality and new calls for social justice for the death of George Floyd. So this seems to be purely about Republican politics, and they want the books to reflect their politics, no? You know, one of these books just had a passage and it talked about Black Lives Matter, the uh, death of George Floyd, the protests that resulted. And it actually even presented both sides of this. It said, you know, some people were critical. Some people blamed the protesters for violence. And it had three or four paragraphs. Florida ended up accepting that textbook, but only after they completely removed the section of Black Lives Matter. So it's about really erasing these parts of history that make certain people, Ron DeSantis, his ideological allies, uncomfortable. And that really goes against what education is about, which is teaching people what happened and letting them draw their own conclusions about what they believe, how they feel, so that they can move on and be productive uh, and engaged members of society. Yeah, well, they, well, Ron DeSantis and his ilk don't believe that students have the right to do that. They will tell them what they think, and they will tell them what they're allowed to read and what they're allowed to know. And he thinks that's going to make him president of the United States. Yeah, good luck with that. Judd Legum, thank you very much. We'll be back after this. I'm sure you've heard a lot about Title 42, a decades-old public health statute used during the COVID-19 pandemic to keep asylum seekers out of the U.S. and how it is coming to an end. The termination of the program came about after Republicans demanded that President Biden end the COVID health emergency. Biden obliged, and tonight the policy will end. For the past three years, the U.S. government has expelled roughly 2.8 million migrants who have come to the border seeking asylum. Title 42 also drove border crossings to record levels because the program actually made it easier for people to cross the border multiple times because they were expelled without being charged for illegal crossing. Title 42 is the lasting gift of creepy, noted xenophobe Stephen Miller, who was Donald Trump's top aide. When the Biden administration, while the Biden administration has seen a surge of migrants at the border, they've deployed new measures to stem the flow, including requiring migrants to file for asylum in their home country, fast tracking an expedited removal process and subjecting families to GPS monitoring and curfews while their cases are being adjudicated. These policies are not going over well with migration advocates. Congressional Republicans, meanwhile, have laid the surge squarely at the feet of President Biden, ignoring their years of inaction. Arizona Independent Senator Kirsten Sinema has joined North Carolina Republican Tom Tillis in proposing legislation that would codify Title 42, because of course she is. While they are pushing this stopgap measure, the majority of congressional politicians have failed to put forth any serious proposal to address America's broken migration system. Part of the reason, at least for Republicans, is that it would strip them of one of their key 2024 talking points, which also includes targeting trans kids, drag queens, voting access and abortion access. But here's something that you probably haven't heard a lot about, and that is the fact that Title 42 isn't the only thing that's coming to an end tonight. Since the overall COVID health emergency is now over, the federal government will begin phasing out some state and federal aid. What does that mean for you? Well, you're going to have to start paying for your COVID tests once the current federal stash is gone. You're also going to be on the hook for your booster shots once the federal pool runs out. And you also will have more out-of-pocket insurance payments. Here's another thing I bet you didn't know. 
Millions of people on Medicaid are getting the boot. Congress ended a provision starting in April that let Medicaid programs keep people continuously enrolled through the end of the health emergency in exchange for enhanced federal funding. The Kaiser Family Foundation estimates that between 5 million and 14 million people will lose Medicaid coverage. Some experts believe this change will impact up to 6 million kids. Lastly, COVID is not gone. Over 1 million deaths later, the virus continues to target our most vulnerable population and continues to kill people every single day. Last month, nearly 5,000 Americans died from the virus, primarily in our elderly population. And most vulnerable when it comes to our kids and teens, COVID is not the number one killer. That continues to be gun violence. And that is tonight's readout. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast.